listening to the Retirement Remix Show with financial advisors and hosts Chip Munn, that's me, and John Tate of Signature Wealth Group. Get ready for a bite-sized dose of timely and actionable financial planning and retirement tips alongside remixed retirement stories from real people just like you. Listen in now to be inspired, find direction, and build your own retirement remix. John Tate, what's up, man? Chip Munn, it is a great day here. I hope it is where you are. Always, man. Always. You know, uh, we've spent the last couple of episodes, John, talking about healthcare. And as part of kind of our prep for a show, you sent me a study by the MIT Age Lab. And I was fascinated by it because it talked about three important questions people should ask in retirement. And of course, I was expecting these deep, dark, kind of philosophical questions. But ultimately, and we'll get into them in a minute, they really were pretty simple. And I think that that's relevant. But when you were doing your research for the show, what led you to the, and maybe even what is the MIT Age Lab? Well, first of all, I would just say that in my house growing up, there was never any question about whether or not I was going to go or get accepted to MIT. I'm not that smart. And so part of the research for the show, what we try to do, especially when we ask other guests or when we're looking at the, even in the office here, I try to surround myself. And I think you do the same thing, surround myself with people that are smarter than I am, because if I'm the smartest person in the room, we're all in trouble. And so if I'm looking at resources to use for research for the show, I mean, I want to go to the smartest. I mean, only 4% of applicants get accepted into MIT School of Engineering. I mean, it's synonymous with intelligent folks. And so what they did in that School of Engineering is they created an age lab where they gather together researchers, sociologists, scientists, and they look at things that are happening in the United States. And one of those is, you know, obviously people are getting older. So they started to look at all the different aspects of aging and what that means for different people, how people are aging, where they're aging, and what they're doing. So this was something created in 1999. And the idea is that with all this research, with all this peering into how people are getting older and what they're doing, this will hopefully, as a hive mind type of issue, use this data to improve people's lives, the quality of their lives. So they came up with three basic questions that have to do with the quality of people's lives throughout the different stages of their life as they get older. Answer your question. Yes. And having done a little research of my own, one of the cool things, if you're up near MIT, and by the way, when you said that there was no question on whether or not you were going to get into MIT, I thought you were going the other way. Uh, but I am glad to know that you're ready to admit that you're not the smartest person in this room. And so I'm just glad to be here to help. But in our listeners have probably picked up on that already. But I'm, I'm sure. But in doing some research, if you're up near MIT, one of the cool things that they do in the age lab is they actually have some of these, we'll call them experiments for lack of a better term, that you can actually quote feel like what it would be to be a certain age. And so they have 
goggles or glasses that you can put on to simulate the deterioration, we'll call it, of your eyesight. And it's kind of like, well, I could just take my contacts out. I don't <laughs> need that particular one. Or suits that you can put on to limit your mobility. And it's kind of like, well, first off, who wants to do that? Like most people I know want to put on suits or goggles to feel younger, not older. But I think that it is a really cool concept, though, to be able to figure out how to help people manage some of these things that may happen to us as we age to get a real clear idea of kind of like walking a mile in somebody else's shoes. And so I think that it's a really neat concept. And John, like I said, they don't necessarily tie specifically to healthcare or healthcare costs per se, but they're really relevant and they're just real world questions. And the first one is who will change my light bulbs? And Again, as I read it, it's a really interesting question because it gets into kind of the independence and mobility issues. As somebody who just this past weekend changed many, many light bulbs upstairs, and to give you some background on that, not that you necessarily asked, but I'll give it to you anyway. My son Turner is still young enough where he likes to sleep with several lights on. And in order to make him feel like there's no dark corners that, that anything could hide in, and so the upstairs of our house where he sleeps, I'm surprised that law enforcement has not come to our house to try to figure out if we're housing like a grow lab upstairs because the lights are on 24 hours a day, it seems like. But at any rate, having changed the light bulbs, what did I do? I had to get up on a ladder. I had to balance myself on the ladder and unscrew little tiny bolts to get the actual fixture down so I can reach the light bulb. I have to unscrew the old one try to put it into my pocket so I can then take the new one out of my pocket, put it back in. Then I have to put it all back together. And then I have to get off the ladder. I mean, it's like a 12-step process, all of which you're precariously balancing on something that is probably two or three feet off the ground at any point during that scenario. And you do it three or four. There's not usually just changing one light bulb at a time. I mean, you're up there. You might as well change a bunch, but anything could happen. And the older we get, the less stable we are at any point of that process. And so it's not necessarily something that we wake up in the morning and think about, but it is a very good, poignant question that brings forth some other questions in your mind as what are some of the things that I am not going to be able to do by myself the longer that I am alive on this earth? Changing light bulbs would be one of them. Getting up and down off a ladder would be another doing things that are where your two feet are not planted safely on the ground. You know, there's lots of things like that, right, Chip? Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, there are plenty of things I don't want to do for myself right now. I, there are a handful <laughs> of things. I keep a list of things that I don't feel equipped to do. And again, to thine own self be true. But it's harder because, again, the perception could be a loss of independence. At this point in my life, I don't feel like delegating you know, we talked earlier about having a guy for something, you know, I've got a guy kind of thing. My ego doesn't get bruised over that. But the older I get, I mean, I certainly already have things that I don't do as well or feel as comfortable doing as I did when I was, say, in my 20s. And so, yeah, I can certainly see and have had family members who have talked to me about the fact that that's a, it is a concern and just the loss of independence can be a big thing. And I think this kind of talks to that. When you look at baby boomers 
statistically they've had fewer children than previous generations and it's a thing gray divorce i mean they even have a name for it higher divorce rates than any other generation in history and so there are chances that some of these kinds of manual things you would have an opportunity to be in a place where you need to do it alone and so thinking about this question as we prepare for where and how we're going to live in retirement, I think that it's a very valid thing because the work's still got to get done, even if we're not the ones who do it. Right. And we've talked many times about where do people want to stay as they get older? And the majority of people say, I want to stay in my home as long as I possibly can. And with the statistics that you just threw out, that probably means that they are going to be doing it not together with someone else, but alone and doing it by themselves. And, and so as they lose that independent ability to do some of these things by themselves, I mean, before memes were a thing, the first meme that I can think of before memes were a thing is the I've fallen and I can't get up lady from the commercials, right? I mean, that is the biggest fear or one of the biggest fears of living alone is that something has happened and you cannot move to either get to a phone or get to a place where you can call somebody to come help. And everybody knows, I mean, if you're of a certain age, you know that commercial from television because it was on all the time. And it was on because people were living alone then, people are living alone now, and people are going to be living alone in the future. And so help at home is going to be in short supply. And so figuring out how you are as a person going to cope with that loss of independence, how you are going to find somebody to help you when you need it so that you are not put at risk just by doing simple household chores. I mean, that's a big deal. And it it has to be a part of the conversation, not only from a, a monetary standpoint, as we're figuring out how to pay for these services to get done, but also just as a psychological and mental issue of, again, feeling safe in your home, feeling like you're not going to be on the ground where no one knows that you're on the ground and no one can come and help. If I could just change the visual a little bit from us laying on the ground, infirm and unable to get help. For some people, it becomes a matter of, I don't want to do that anymore. And there are a lot of options, I think, above and beyond, you know, back, like you said, years and years ago, the kind of med alert bracelets and I've fallen and I can't get up. I agree with you. Everybody's heard and and remembers of a certain age that commercial. But now I think that part of what we talk about, John, with folks is embracing sooner rather than later technology. And we'll talk about that in some of these other areas, but in the who will change my light bulbs, again, maybe it's not that you can't do it. It's maybe it's you don't want to do it anymore. And so above and beyond kind of the whole, I have a guy having a person that you can call. These days, you've got things like TaskRabbit that you can use. There's an app that'll actually send a handyman over, Angie's List, some of those kinds of things where there are technology solutions that can really help you get little things done around the house that maybe you don't want to do anymore. And again, it's one of those things that we've talked before about care options but my dad had multiple sclerosis. And at one point while he was living alone, got his medications mixed up. So, I mean, we have the care options, but again, he had MS. So he was 
constantly having to depend on somebody else, whether it was my brother and me or whether it was a handy person kind of around town to fix little things. And so it, it certainly is very possible. And again, depending on where you live, as you're making some of these decisions, there are options as far away as your phone. And for my kids, you know, I mean, that's literally an extension of their hand. So it's important to understand there are lots of options when it comes to being able to maintain your independence. You kind of become the CEO of your home. Well, becoming a CEO, it's an important step. I mean, it means you're in charge. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the CFO in the relationship, but the CEO is a good spot to be in. The next question that we come to is, you know, the first question, who's going to change my light bulb? Second question, how will I get an ice cream cone? And this has to do with accessibility and things like that. But before we get into that question and the answer itself, Chip, do you have a favorite flavor of ice cream? I do. My favorite flavor of ice cream is bubblegum. <laughs> and not like the cheap bubblegum flavor that's just kind of pink and blue, more like Superman. Mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. is the kind, like my favorite flavor has the little tiny chunks of bubblegum in it so that you've got a little residual chew going on after you eat the ice cream. That's my favorite, John. How about yours? So there's a place in downtown Wilmington called Kilwins, and this is an ice cream parlor, and they've got other candies and stuff in there. But it's not unique to Wilmington, but there are some nationwide. But they have a flavor. It's called Kilwins Tracks, and it's basically vanilla ice cream, and they've got peanut butter chocolate-covered things in there and then swirls of chocolate in the ice cream. So there's a little bit of, you know, like you, you know, you like a little bit of bubble gum in your ice cream, a little textural change in there. So it's pretty much the same thing, just a different kind of flavor. Yeah. A little something, something. I mean, Brewster's here yeah. when I can't get the bubble gum, Brewster's here has something called white turtle. Mm -hmm. So it's what you would think of a turtle cheesecake, but with vanilla ice cream, mm. wicked good, man. A textural change. That is going to be my, Phrase for the day. When it comes to ice cream, textural change is incredibly important. Also important, John, to have somebody to have ice cream with. And I think we'll get into that in the third question. But when it comes to this question, I think, like you said, this is less about money and more about availability. So when, when you're starting to think about where you're going to live in retirement, a big part of that is transportation and how you're going to get around and what's available kind of in the space where you live. In the first question, we're talking about where do you want to live in my home? And then the second question is, well, okay, so where do I want that home to be? And what you're looking for, generally speaking, is a community that is walkable. If things are close, they're nearby. It doesn't take long to get there. You could walk if you wanted to. They also have a good transportation system. And in the realm of healthcare, obviously you want to live in a place that has access to good healthcare professionals, specialties, things like that. And so if you're thinking about just something as simple as how will I get my ice cream cone? What are the steps of leaving my house and going to get something that will bring me joy? Church might be something that fits into that category as well. You know, worship, the gym, the movie theater, the park, all of these things, how am I going to get there? And here in Leland, I'm on the Leland 2045 committee, and it is our job to come up with the things that make Leland a place where people want to move to and live to. And 
as part of that conversation, accessibility is a large part of that planning movement that we're trying to wrap our heads around and make available to folks that are moving here because you know a large portion of the population that is moving here are people that are moving down from the northeast uh, you know maybe got tired of cold weather whatever it is and they're moving here as part of their retirement strategy for the reasons that we're talking about so where you live is just as important as the house that you live within so the items that go into choice of how you choose that community, it needs to be something that a pretty detailed conversation occurs around, right? Yeah. And I think too, that again, just a little bit of planning. If at some point you don't want to drive as much, having a place that has Uber and Lyft, which most places do now, being mindful that there are lots of options. There are all kinds of ride sharing type options. They're very popular in larger places. And I think that, again, I think probably maybe more than when the Age Lab was originally conceived, now there are even more options. The flip side of that, John, is that between, and we learned a lot of this, I think to some extent maybe COVID gave us a little bit of a preview into it, is now you've got all kinds of options of people who bring things to you. So if it's not about getting out to a certain place, it's more about accessibility and getting things that you want when you want them. Now you also have Grubhub, DoorDash, Instacart. They'll bring you your groceries. A lot of us have done kind of the curbside stuff on various things, but also now, again, no farther away than our phone, our tablet, or our computer, or a few buttons that we can press and people will bring us things and bring it right to our door. And so being mindful of, again, the, I'll call them unpaid amenities. John of an area. So it's, it's not like, you know, if you go to a hotel or maybe a long-term care community, you're looking at the amenities of the place. But in reality, your home can have a lot of the same amenities, right? If you are in the right area and you've kind of planned ahead for the kinds of things that interest you, you can greatly increase your accessibility to things just by, again, being familiar with all the options. And in other shows, we've talked a lot about feeling satisfied with the choice to make a change in your life and either work less or do something different, feel like you don't have to have a nine to five job, but you know maybe you're still volunteering or working in a consulting role or whatever that might be, but it's that level of engagement. We want to stay engaged with the people around us, with the community we live in. We want to remain active as long as possible, doing things, playing pickleball, whatever it is. And then also, you know, putting those two things together and having some fun. So it's all something, like you said, that takes planning. It's not something that just happens. And so I I still feel like this is taking us down a path of living in the home. Who's going to help me do that? What community do I choose? What are the decisions I make there? And then inside that community, the last question is, who will I have lunch with? And How many times a week do you have lunch with somebody, Chip, on average? Maybe one. It's not something that I do a lot. I work too much, John. I'm just, I'm always working. (laughs) But when you do have lunch with somebody, it is a decision. It is a choice. It's not just you walk into a restaurant and choose somebody waiting for a table at random and say, you come over here and have lunch with me. I mean, it, it is a decision made ahead of time, right? Of course. And it's a common thing among societies is to break bread together. And I think the 
bigger issue or the bigger kind of question is what's my social network going to be like? How am I going to maintain the social relationships and the friendships that I have? Uh, And that's a big question, John, we get when uh, it's a big struggle for a lot of people because for a lot of them, a lot of their socialization comes from work. And so just the idea of retirement in general, who will I have lunch with and what's that? Yeah. How am I going to maintain this network? Yeah. It's a lot different than the kids and the social networks these days. We're not surfing TikTok for meaningful relationships. And so I think it's a big thing just to be thinking about and be aware of is how am I going to pass my time in a way that I continue to enjoy meaningful connection? Right. That's part of a personal statement. You know, I don't know, and you touched on this a little bit, I don't know how meaningful the connections that we have in our online social network are long-term. I mean, this is a new enough phenomenon where I don't know that we have enough information I think in the short term, it might make you feel good to have people that you keep up with online or be able to interact with people online in your social network. But I'm not sure long term, it's going to be the same thing. The people you want to surround yourself with, just like we talked about earlier, you know, we try to get people smarter than us in the same room. But the people we want to surround ourselves with, they reinforce that healthy, active lifestyle, and they want to be somebody that we can depend on in times of need, and they want the same thing from us. And I just don't know that we can ever expect these online relationships, if you want to call them relationships. I don't know that we can expect those kinds of things out of that. It may be a stopgap. It may be a short-term thing when you move to a new area that helps reinforce the fact that there are people out there that care about you and love you. But I'm not sure about the long-term impacts of that. I still believe in that kind of personal interaction, face-to-face, dare I call it touchy-feely kind of stuff, right? Yeah, I think we all got a taste of that. We had 18 months where we couldn't be as close to the people that we cared about, even if we were in the same town as maybe we wanted to. And yeah, I think that definitely is true. I think that the online social networks give us a way, in my experience with them, it's a great way to keep up with people that I can't be geographically close to anymore on a very surface level, but it is by no means a replacement for real, like you said, kind of face-to-face, belly-to-belly type (laughs) relationships. And I think it's a big deal. And the last thing, John, kind of along this lines is we have to be mindful of it because people who are living alone, it's not good for them to be alone. You know, we're not meant to be alone and, and it can be bad for their health. Yeah. You know, as we mentioned earlier, the statistics that you mentioned earlier with baby boomers, it just means that roughly because men don't live as long as women and because divorce rates among baby boomers were higher than previous generations, we do have almost twice as many women over the age of 65 living alone than men in the United States. Not that women are any less likely to be able to handle themselves, quite the contrary, but I think that when it comes to planning, we just have to realize that there are going to be situations where people are alone and we need to make sure that when we're planning to live in our home, if that's where we want to stay, we're planning to live in a city that is nearby our children. We need to make sure that that city is a place where we can access the things that we want, including healthcare, because that's why we're talking about all of this. But 
we also want to make sure that we can plan to live in a place where people can help take care of us if we need it and that we can have friends there that we're not going to be lonely or just alone and by ourselves and that we'll have the opportunity to interact socially with other people our own age and other people who share our own interests and lifestyles. Yeah, and I think that all this is to say that planning where, with whom, I usually talk about a reporter, who, what, when, where, and why. The questions that you want to ask about retirement may be as important as how much it costs. And putting some thought into that and figuring it out may be just as important as figuring out what it's going to cost and how you're going to pay for it. I mean, it's a big part of the quality of life. John, anything else? A good place where you can choose is kind of like bubblegum ice cream. It's the gift that keeps giving because after you're done with the ice cream, you still have a little bit of chewing gum left in your mouth to kind of tide you over until the next meal, right? Yeah. A little bit of textually. What was the word, John? (laughs) I think that moment has come and gone. I don't even remember. A little extra something. And really, it's one of those things. As you age, it's important to realize that situations change. And so maybe the location that has served you well up until now isn't providing easy access to the kind of active, healthy lifestyle that you want and that you deserve. It's important to both individuals and couples. You know, one of the things that we are able to do is help assess their situations from a broader perspective. And so if you want some help in trying to figure your way through some of these things, or maybe just a list of cool apps that can help you live the lifestyle that you want and make things more convenient for you. I encourage you to reach out to one of our Signature World offices. We're happy to help and to provide some resources for you, both on the financial and the non-financial side of things. John, see you again next week. You're the man, man. There we have it. Another great episode. If you'd like to continue the conversation, here are four ways that we can help. First, complete the Retirement Success Scorecard to discover whether or not you're on track to a successful retirement on your terms. You can find this at SignatureWealth.com scorecard. Second, get a complimentary copy of my book, The Retirement Remix. Whether you're interested in real-life retirement stories and inspiration from others like you, or you want to learn more about Medicare and Social Security. It's all in there. Go to theretirementremix.com to grab your copy. Third, listen in on bi-weekly office hours with our team. We host live virtual office hours to share new investment and planning information and answer your money, markets, and retirement questions. Find the details to join us at signaturewealth.com slash office hours. And fourth, Schedule a complimentary strategy call with one of our advisors to make sure you're on track toward your ideal retirement. Go to SignatureWealth.com and select the Signature Wealth office closest to you. We'll be back here next week for more on the Retirement Remix. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or anywhere you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode.